Welcome to the Family OS Podcast. I'm Kate. And I'm Tanner. We're obsessed with creating the family life we desire, and we call it the Family Operating System. Join us each week to learn how to improve communication, be in control of your future, and love life. Welcome to the Family OS Podcast. My name is Cade. I am thrilled to have this conversation today with Jill Castle as my guest. She's one of the nation's premier childhood nutrition experts. So we are going to get some good insight today. Uh, known as a paradigm shifter, she blends current research and practical application with common sense and inspires audiences to think differently about feeding kids. And this is, I mean, I believe just such a hot topic right now as we look at everything that is happening in our world and health and immune systems and whatnot. So this will be really exciting. Jill has inspired TEDx and a range of nutrition, medical, government, and parent audiences, serves also on the board of advisors of Parent Magazine, and is the nutrition advisor to a handful of privately held child nutrition companies. And you're the creator of thenourishedchild.com, a parent nutrition education website, author of various books like Eat Like a Champion, Try New Food, The Smart Mom's Guide to Starting Solids, and much more. Jill, thank you so much for being here and being a part of the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Kate. I'm uh, delighted to be here. Yes, wonderful. Um, so first off, tell us, I mean, you've got um, so much history and experience in this. What what drove you to even want to be uh, focused on nutrition? Like what, what, what got you even into this field? My failure at organic chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right on. No, seriously, in uh, college and undergrad, I was a pre-med major, and I just could not cut the mustard for organic chemistry. And I took a semester off, and my dad said, I think you should try a nutrition course. And so I did as part of my overall exploratory semester, and uh, I loved it. I took a Nutrition 101 class. There was probably three to 400 kids in the class, and it like just spoke my language. It, it was uh, easy for me to get the nice blend between practicality and science, and uh, I just fell in love with it. And then after I graduated, I did an internship, and I did my internship at it. Um, Mass General Hospital in Boston. And when I did my pediatric rotation, I just was like mesmerized by the kids. I, I thought, you know, here are these little people who have to grow, yet they have some of the same uh, medical conditions that adults do. They have cardiovascular disease. They have cancer. They have diabetes. They have food allergies. They have all of these things. And while we treat those things, we also have to make sure they are growing well and that they are developing well and they're developing their relationship with food uh, also. So I, I was enormously challenged by that. And uh, I've, I've been doing this for 30 plus years at this point and still love connecting with families and parents. I'm more focused on parents now. Uh, earlier in my career, I was more focused on the child and treating the child. Now I am definitely in my work more focused on supporting parents because I recognize that, you know, they come to the table without a whole lot of education around nutrition and feeding and, and it can be a real struggle and a real 
hardship for some families. And so my goal is to really make nutrition enjoyable and joyous, understandable, and uh, make help parents feel empowered uh, with feeding their children. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually something that's doable. It's not like it's this big, overwhelming thing that I don't know how to tackle. And I think as parents, and especially when you have new children and we know how you know, toddlers just like rule the house when you don't, you know, you don't want them to, you're doing your best as a parent, but you know, they just, they take over, right? Like their number one goal is to get their needs met. And so they will fight for however they can get their need met. And as a parent, we have to stand our ground for what is in their best interest. And we don't, we have some old practices that maybe need to get put aside. Um, we might need to know that we've got to just educate ourselves a little bit and understand some different options for ourselves and what we can do for our kids. These tiny little humans, you know, need, they need the best out of us as parents mm-hmm. um, to, to lead them and, and raise them well. So, and, you know, I became a mom late in life. I was over 40 when I had both my children and um, that nutrition was something that I was really dialed in with as a single adult. And then when I got kids, I was like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. So, um, so, so I'm like, how does this all go out the window? So it's, so there's a lot, but you're going to break it down for us. So first, before we get into sort of the ins and outs of it, Can you give us just a little backstory of like the research that's out there, like the current research that we're seeing, we're seeing obesity rise. Um, We're seeing that our food is not as good as it used to be. So maybe you can just give us some of your expert insight to what we're dealing with here. Well, I mean, we are dealing with a lot of medical concerns in children that we have not been dealing with before. Obesity has always been around. It was around when I was a kid in the 70s. But now the percentages of children affected by uh, this disease, and I think it's fair for us, according to the research now, to refer to obesity as a disease. It's not a condition of willpower. It is a genetically transmitted in many children's instances, uh, disease. And so when we think about it as a disease, we can think about managing it as a disease, as opposed to managing it as a, oh, you just don't have willpower, you have bad habits. Um, we, We know that that shame and blame sort of way of managing weight isn't very productive. But in terms of what we know in the research, um, yeah, obesity is on the rise, still continues to climb. We have not figured out a um, solution for it. Uh, I think many, many researchers are working in that area. We understand it's genetically, 70% of it is uh, uh, due to genetics. 70% of people with obesity carry the the gene for the genes for obesity. I think they've now discovered 50 or more genes that predispose you to obesity. And so we know um, it is, you know, like we know for eating disorders, also on the rise in children, uh, things like anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, these are all on the rise in children as well, especially younger children under the age of 12 and in boys. What we know about eating disorders is that that's also genetically inclined. Um, And so we can walk around as human beings with a gene pool that can sort of incline us to develop an eating disorder, to develop obesity, to develop cancer, to develop develop heart disease. All of these things are sort of 
so many of these things we are genetically inclined to have, but it is our environment that sort of makes these things come alive, right? So you can carry the gene for an eating disorder. You can carry the gene for obesity and never be obese and never have an eating disorder. So a lot of what we know about children and uh, nutrition is this idea that yes, things like cardiovascular disease, ADHD, food allergies, eating disorders, uh, nutrient deficiencies, they are all kind of climbing, unfortunately, in childhood. But what we also know is that how we set our environment up at home uh, can have a very powerful influence in terms of keeping our children healthy and preventing them from you know, succumbing to some of these uh, concerns medically. Yeah. Wow. Um, and that's great insight because uh, one, we see that in some ways it's just part of how we we are. And then to see that we actually are, um, we we can be in control of the situation and we can we can take ownership of how to um, counteract any of the, the the negative effects that are happening. So I think that's really powerful. And I'm uh, I'm a big believer in focusing on what you can control, right? Like let's let's Me not too. get right for, for all things in life. Um, so when it comes to kids' nutrition, um, I feel like in in a way it's just common to sort of uh, like put it in the back seat, like like kids just take bland food. They're going to just eat chicken nuggets and mac and cheese. Like we don't think about vegetables for our children. If you look at a kid's menu in a restaurant, it's just like all carb based, you know? So, so first off, why is, you know, like, how does this affect their development first? Like why, when we look at this food, like we're just, we're, we're taking it sort of as a, as a backseat approach and, yet it has a direct effect to their development. So just maybe like make a little bit of a connection there. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, from birth, um, you know, when we think about babies who are born, you know, they're either on infant formula or they're nursing, right? Um, Their brains are developing at quite a clip. Uh, Then they're moving into toddlerhood and their physical development is really um, exploding, right? They're moving from a baby who can just sit up to somebody who's walking and climbing and crawling and and doing all of these things. And then we move into the school age years and you have the social uh, and cognitive development that's happening. So kids in school are really learning how to interact. They're absorbing information. They're integrating it. They're connecting it. Um, And then in the teenage years, they're almost like reverting back to the toddler years because they're also, like you said earlier, there's a huge drive for control, right? And um, so, so when we think of childhood through the years, children need 40 different nutrients on a daily basis to meet their nutritional needs to grow and develop, whether it's their physical body developing, the internal organs developing, the brain, or just their relationship with food, which we don't talk a lot about, but um, all of all of these things are developing over childhood. And food not only is the sort of source of those nutrients, it's also the source of connection with family. It's the source of connecting with peers. It is the source of developing your likes, your dislikes, your food preferences. Um, and so Food is enormously important in a child's life. Uh, it, you know, it can be the 
the origin for why a, an infant develops a trust in their parent. It can be the origin of why a child has a nutrient deficiency. It can be the origin of why a child turns into a chef because there's so much joy in cooking. So there's a lot of roles that food plays in a child's life. And yes, I will agree uh, with a comment that you made that it gets kind of last, last in line. It's the last thing thought about. We will invest in the best doctors. We will invest in the best schools. We will buy the most expensive sports equipment. And yet we won't invest in feeding our children well, and not only just purchasing the food, but taking the time to understand that even how you know, we interact with our children around the table can be just as powerful as the food that they put in their mouths. Right. And so when we leave nutrition back uh, as an afterthought, uh, our kids pay for that in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I, I feel like, you know, my husband and I, we have I mean, for the most part, we're, we're healthy people. We've focused on our nutrition and our health over, over the years before we met. And, and when we were to get, you know, when we, we, uh, we got married and, and before, you know, the kids came into play, but there, yeah, I don't know, something just shifted a little bit. And, um, and so we thought just like the little bit of, you know, quote unquote treats. Um, you know, I don't even necessarily want to say that because like giving your kid like some processed sugar stuff isn't really a treat. Um, but you know, for a lack of a better word right now, um, that like it's a moderation for us, but we've seen like with our daughter who's, um, she'll be, uh, she's almost four. She's, she's close to four. Um, that she like, she takes it to a whole new level. And now it's like all about like, she wants that sugary treat. She wants, she thinks everything is a snack. She wants a snack, a snack. And I'm like, what are we doing to this child? Like, how are we, how can we unteach her these behaviors? So how do we unteach a kid like some bad behaviors? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, it's it takes time, right? right? And and one of the things I will comment on in terms of four-year-olds, they, you know, they're still in that preschool emerging out of toddlerhood age. And they're really exploring their world and they make connections really quickly. And um, you know, we know that babies and toddlers already are are predisposed to enjoy sweet flavors because amniotic fluid is sweet. So they kind of come out of the womb hardwired for sweet flavors in their mouth. Breast milk is also sweet. And uh, so we keep reinforcing, and, and believe me, do not stop breastfeeding. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> because in breast milk, there's also garlic and all kinds of herbs and spices and flavors that come through. There's just an enormous amount of benefits to breastfeeding. Um, and but 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 babies when they're born they they like sweet and they like fatty flavors that fatty feel that's uh, in their mouth they like um, they also like umami so you know soy sauce that salty kind of uh, flavor all of those flavors are in the amniotic fluid and get transmitted in 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 the breast milk and so when we have a toddler who is like love sweets and 
by the way, I haven't really met a child that doesn't love sweets, my own four children included. Um, (laughs) It's natural. Okay. And so that's what I find that parents, when they hear that, they're like, oh, it's not me. Like my child, like this is, this is how they're born. And so that doesn't mean that's destiny that your child's just going to eat sweets for the rest of their lives. Uh, The important thing with sweets is sort of putting them in their place, if you will. They're an enjoyable treat, as you said. Um, and, the, and, and undoing it, undoing that preference, when we do things like restrict the sweets, like we put them away and we say, you can't have them, or, oh, you can only have one bite, um, that actually in the scientific literature is called restriction. And what restriction often does with children, particularly around desserts and cookies and sweets and candy, is it reinforces the desire for those sweets. So when we try to control them, take them out of the diet, hide them, kids tend to be like, where are they? I'm going to find them and when oh, yeah. I get them, I'm going to go nuts with eating them. Yeah. I mean, my daughter's literally like pulling up the chair, climbing the cabinet. It's up there. Like, I, you know, and so, so what do we do? So, so what you want to do is neutralize and normalize sweets. We don't want to put sweets on this different level with all the other foods in the diet. And I know it's, it's really hard concept for parents to, to embrace sometimes because clearly vegetables and treats are not the same thing. However, psychologically, when we take something and we make it taboo, or we really put a lot of emphasis on its features, whether it's we're saying you can never have that because it's not good for you, it's poison, it's toxic, whatever, Kids tend to, whatever reason, desire those things more. And so including sweets in the diet on a regular basis and not making a big deal of it is really the way to go. So that might look like, um, you know, you have a planned dessert and that it is everybody knows when it's happening and there are no strings attached. You don't have to eat your broccoli to get dessert. You don't have to finish your meal to get dessert. It's just part of what's on the table. Now, a lot of parents will hear that and say, oh my gosh, I can't let my have my child have that every day. Well, you you don't need to offer it every day. It might be that Wednesday hump day is dessert day and I don't care how you eat at dinner time, you can have dessert. It's no strings attached, it's part of our meal. Right. And so when kids can start to understand when they're going to have their sweets and treats, And when they understand that they don't have to perform for them, they relax a little bit more about them. Okay. So what do you do? Like if you plan out the days you're going to have those desserts and treats and so, and we're clearly in control of what that looks like. So we can pick better options. Um, What do you do on the day that isn't a dessert day and they're screaming for it? You just say, I'm sorry, it's not a dessert day. And you distract because toddlers are highly distractible. So it's like, I'm sorry, it's not today, but it's tomorrow. Let's look for it. Let me show you on the calendar. Tomorrow's a dessert day and we can look forward to that. So right now let's go outside and play. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. It's not on the menu. So now, (laughs) yeah. Okay. And I, I think that's, yeah, that's, um, and we've actually been doing that with 
certain things, not even just around food, but just like, Hey, that's not today. Like that's tomorrow or that's this weekend or whatever it looks like. So, so that makes sense. I have heard to sort of counter this neutralizing and like no strings attached kind of thing. So when we're looking at the meal and, um, they're not really eating the the meat that's on the table or on the plate or the vegetables or whatever, but all they're zeroed in on is that they want the dessert. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard also from nutritionists and other experts in the field that that the way the world works is that like you you do things like you 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 show up for your job and then you get paid, right? Like it's this mentality of like you have to do some things in order to get the other things that you want, right? You have to work and get paid in order to take the vacation you want. And so it's sort of can making that connection that yes, you want dessert, but in order to get dessert, you have to also do some things too. So what, what's your thought on that theory? I would push back a little bit on that only because what I know about children is they are not cognitively, um, as aware as an adult. So they're not making the adult connections that you and I can make. Yeah, we can think through and think, oh, delayed gratification. Yeah, we can we can work six months and then earn our, earn our uh, vacation. A child doesn't think that way. They are very here and now, and they make and learn uh, attachments quickly, very quickly. They absorb and learn very fast. And so that's why uh, children, when they come to the table, and perhaps they're pressured every time they're at the table to eat their broccoli or finish their meal, they start to associate uh, a, a negative uh, a negative association with coming to the dinner table because there's always a lot of pressure and there's yeah. mom and dad are mad at me. Or when children are uh, made to eat, for lack of better words, force fed, you know, they make a negative association. They don't want to come to the table anymore. And they're not very cooperative when they're there. Yeah. And so children learn fast. They're different from adults. The delayed gratification comes way down deeper into childhood. And so to say that a toddler is going to learn that they have to, you know, eat their protein first and then get their dessert. They're not necessary. They might learn that. I don't want to say that they wouldn't learn that, but my inclination is that they would just learn that they're frustrated at the table because they're not getting what they want. And with a toddler, distraction and out of sight, out of mind is what works. So don't put the dessert on the table. Um, if it's an older toddler and they understand that tonight's a dessert night, you just put it right on the table with their other food. And if they only eat the dessert, and again, you're putting out one portion for a child, you're not putting out a plate of brownies and letting them go hog wild at dinner time. It's a brownie on the plate. Um, and if they eat it first, fine. They'll probably eat more of their dinner, particularly if you ask them to stay and sit with you for the rest of the meal, they will mosey around and continue to eat more food. Um, if they don't, and they only have the brownie, and they get up and they leave and they come back and they say an hour later, I'm starving. Then you say, well, I'm really sorry. You only ate a brownie for dinner. That stinks. We don't have anything else to eat again until whatever your next snack or your meal is. But you're very empathetic and you put it back on the child. You made the decision to only eat a brownie. There was milk. There was your favorite carrots. There was 
chicken, there were noodles, there were so many things we could have eaten, but you only ate a brownie. That's would you and would would you um would you do that even for bedtime? Like they go to bed hungry? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would. Yeah. Okay. Because in my experience, uh, I've worked in pediatrics for 30 years. And again, this is very nuanced. It could be very oppressive for some children. So I'm I'm going to say this with the caveat that you know your child best and you know how your child's going to react. But in my experience with my own children, with the families that I've worked with, uh, kids only go to bed hungry once. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, they learn fast. Yeah. And so you, the next time that comes up and you say, oh, remember that one time we went to bed because you didn't eat dinner and you got up the next morning, you were really hungry. Just want to remind you of that as we sit here at dinner, think about that and then let them make the decision. Yeah. Yeah. Part of, part of, you know, parenting around food these days is really laying out the best environment that you can for your kids and then letting them make the decisions and their decisions aren't always going to be perfect. They're going to make mistakes, but that's how they learn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, this, this part of it, um, I've, I've heard numerous times and from various um, people in the industry of just raising toddlers, raising kids, um, whether it's around nutrition or not, but yeah, like presenting, you know, the choices and the choices that you're okay with and allowing them to learn, allowing them to choose and allowing them to learn through that, through that process. Um, and you're right. Like <laughs> I've heard uh, quite a few times where they're like, yeah, let them go to bed hungry. They won't do it for very long. So I'm like, and it's hard as a parent. I'm like, I don't want my kid to go to bed hungry. And sometimes, you know, she doesn't want to eat and she's hungry an hour later. And then, you know, yeah. So it's, uh, it's definitely a thing that we've had to figure out in our household. Yeah. And I would say for other parents out there that who are, who are listening, you know, there's always an opportunity. If your child every night is coming to the table and not hungry and not eating, then you step back and say, okay, what is going on? Is she snacking too much after school and really just killing the appetite for dinner? Like, let me step back and see, are there minor adjustments that I can make throughout the day that will help encourage her appetite at dinner time? Um, so always, you know, if it's a one-off thing, don't worry about it. But if you're starting to see patterns, maybe there's some tweaking that you can do, uh, earlier in the day. Yeah. That's a, yeah. I'm glad that you, you made that, um, that connection too, because I, because that was something that we noticed with when we pick our kids up from preschool and they're, they're hungry. Like, this is literally what we ended up, what we did that we took a step back. We're like, okay, what's going on. So at school, they're having uh, a snack Mm -hmm. somewhere around three o'clock ish. And then they were hungry by the time I got them at five. And so I would give them like a small snack in the car and then they wouldn't want to eat dinner by six. And so, uh, you know, and this was the battle. And so what I realized is the snack that the school is serving is literally like fruit and crackers or something like total, just sugar. It's just, it's spiking their blood sugar. And of course they're hungry a couple of hours later. So what I started doing is actually bringing in like my own food for them. So, and of course every school is different and you're going to have to, you know, figure out what that looks like for, for, um, uh, for your particulars, uh, school for your children, but 
I was able to bring in food. So I gave them, I'm giving them now a more balanced snack at three o'clock. I've now been able to remove the snack from the car and then they come home and they can actually eat dinner. So just to give an example of like how we had to actually go back and, and backtrack that and figure out the, the solution. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, that is a, an excellent solution. I'm sure you added some source of protein or fiber mm-hmm. to healthy fats. Yeah, yep. yep. Try yeah. to, yeah, I'm trying to be more purposeful of the protein, the healthy fats, a more complex carb. They yeah. can still have their fun things too. And, um, you know, and still have the fruit that they, like the rest of the classmates are getting and things like that. So yeah, it was definitely, and it was, a, it was a little bit of an effort in the beginning. Like I had to pay attention to that yeah. and what I was doing and coming up with sort of a bank of options. But once I did that, it's a little bit of upfront work. Now it's much easier. And now it's, you know, I can start to do it um, with, with my hands tied behind my back kind of thing. So know that like a little bit of that upfront work is worth it in the long run and it becomes easier. Um, how do we, how, 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 and speaking of that, like, how do we practically put this into, um, you know, apply this into our everyday life, right? Like here, you know, I gave this example, this is what we had to do, but as parents are listening and they are thinking this is super overwhelming and they don't know where to start, like, what are some of those practical ways that they can start applying this and be more conscious of the food they're giving their kids? Yeah, I think I think one of the easiest things and most effective things for parents to do, hands down, first off the bat, is set a, set a schedule for meals and snacks and stick with it. So if breakfast is at seven, lunch is at noon, dinner's at five, figure out how many snacks your child needs, schedule those in between. So toddlers tend to need three snacks because they're eating in more frequent intervals up until about preschool. Preschool and school age kids need around two snacks a day. And the teenagers, at least one, if they're involved in sports, they might need two. Uh, But those are sort of the, the guidelines. If you can set the time for the snacks and the meals, and again, we're talking uh, windows of about three to four hours between uh, about three hours between a meal and a snack, you're really sort of providing opportunities throughout the day for children to get the nutrients they need, but also satisfy their appetite. And of course, then the second piece of this, after you have the structure, is what is in the meals and the snacks, because it does make a difference. Of course, we want nutrient-dense foods or nutrient-rich foods, and those are going to come from foods like protein sources, fish, lean meats and beef, poultry, eggs, beans, soy, like tofu, cheeses, dairy products. Those are all foods with protein. Protein is very satiating. It also is a big source of iron and zinc and B12 oftentimes, depending on the type of protein, uh, which are nutrients that children need. So we want to make sure that your main meals have a protein source and more likely, uh, more often than not, your snack time also. Because protein's so filling, it really does help children stay away from food or not eat in that three hour window. And so that's what we're really trying to create is this rhythm of we eat, we don't eat, we eat, we don't eat, we eat, we don't eat. Because remember, when you eat, your entire digestive system turns on, it's working hard, it's digesting, and then it takes a break. And then your appetite builds up and you get hungry. 
And so then you eat again. And in children, because they're tiny, their tummies are a lot smaller than ours, they get hungry more frequently. And so this whole three to four hour window of time um, between eating sessions is a good target. Um, so you want to have a protein source, you want to have grains. So uh, we don't say that grains are bad for kids. We like whole grains with fiber. Uh, there's a great source. Uh, they're a great source of iron. They're a great source of B vitamins, uh, of course, fiber. And a lot of children today have constipation. They need the fiber in their diet. Fruits, vegetables, again, two other food groups that are going to be rich in vitamin C, the fruits, rich in uh, vegetable, rich in vitamin A from the vegetables, and both, again, high size, a high source of fiber. And then dairy products or non-dairy products, whatever your family is doing, the most important thing to remember with a dairy or dairy substitution is that it's rich in nutrients, right? So we know some non-dairy sources are not rich in nutrients. They don't have very much protein. They don't have very much fat. They're not adding a lot of nutrition to the child's diet. So we wanna make sure that um, whether you're a cow's milk person or whether you're uh, a milk alternative person, whatever you're choosing is going to be high in calcium, high in vitamin D, a good source of protein. Um, and so we want that balance. So that's the second thing. So number one, set the structure, set the timing of everything. And number two, pay attention to what is in those meals. Ideally for meals, we want all five of those food groups represented. So it's not the old days of here's a piece of meat, here's your vegetable, and here's your grain. We want, we want to see the dairy or the non-dairy substitute there too. We want to see the fruit at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, again, I don't believe that children have to eat what you put on their plate. That's really old school thinking, but I do believe children need the opportunity to eat all of the food groups at all of the meals and to experience lots of different foods and flavors uh, throughout their childhood. Yeah. And the same principle for the snacks have, uh, a, I always say, do a protein and a and a fruit or a protein and a grain or a healthy fat and a grain, like make combinations. It's not just a bowl of fishy crackers that is not gonna sustain a child's appetite. Yeah, yeah, and I'm glad, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, I'm glad you said that because a lot of times we think snacks are just like, yeah, let me eat some goldfish or, um, you know, or what, just something simple when your snacks should look a little bit more like a mini meal, right? Yeah. You have more of those balanced components going on. You might not hit all of them, but making it more balanced um, for sustainability till the, till the next meal. And that you're also not creating this blood sugar high and crash, high and crash. And that was what I was seeing with my daughter. I'm like, this is horrible. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it literally broke my heart. Like there was one point at like one day where I, I was in tears. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing to my kid? And I didn't know, like, I didn't know how to go. Like, I didn't know what to do. I was literally like, this is horrible. I see what's happening and I, I have to make a change. And so, um, and so I, you know, I saw it. I sought counsel for it basically, right? Like get, get me to some of the experts who are going to help me understand how to start correcting this. And it's literally been a year in progress and, so and it's, and it's a tremendous difference. You know, I'm bringing food to their school. So I know that they're getting 
upgraded versions of what the kids are eating at the school. And um, I'm more in control of that balanced meal. I know that um, her blood sugar isn't spiking and crashing all the time. Um, she's now started to eat more vegetables, which she she wouldn't even touch practically as, you know, at a two-year-old. And then as a three-year-old, she's now, I want more broccoli. And I want, like, I mean, she's eating vegetables where, you know, we typically think kids don't want to eat it. And I've also recognized that I can introduce a food to them um, multiple times where they don't want it. And then all of a sudden one day they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to eat that today. So don't give up on it. Parents are listening, right? Like they may not want it right away in the beginning, but, but keep introducing it to them because one day it'll shift. And that's exactly what, what happened with our daughter. Um, yeah, I, it's, uh, and, and keeping something familiar, with something that's new, right? I mean, I think that's a good practice overall. Like make sure there's something familiar on the plate that they, you know, that they like while you also introduce a new item. Yeah. Um, It's kind of like, think about when your child goes somewhere new and they take their blanket with them. Right. Or they take their favorite stuffed animal. It increases comfort. Uh, And same thing with a new food on the plate. If there's something on the plate that they like, are familiar with and enjoy or can eat without a problem, their, inc- their comfort level with something new is going to be higher. Yeah. 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 I, this has been so fascinating. Is, is there, is there any other, um, you know, final words that you can offer parents listening when they're just feeling like, I know I got to do something like, where do I start? What would, yeah. what, what would be your advice? Well, I would say number one, I get it. I mean, I've, I, again, I've worked in this field for a long time. Parenting around food is tough. It's not quick wins. It's it's a long game. It's like yeah. running a marathon. You're going to have little wins and then you're going to have dips and challenges. Um, but if your intentions are good and your intentions are to raise a well-nourished child who has a good relationship with food, you'll find the answers. There are a lot of resources out there to help. Um, The other thing I would say is that uh, this idea of stepping back and just looking at your role in how your child is eating, we all play a role in how our children are eating. Um, As a parent myself, you're a parent as well. We come to the table, so to speak, with our own childhood food history, and we bring that with us. And so if you have a childhood food history that wasn't pleasant or that wasn't wonderful in your mind or that you had things that happened to you, you know, as a child around the dinner table, and you don't want to repeat those things, uh, you need to step back and and perhaps get a little bit more uh, information around feeding children and that interaction that's happening. Something like restriction is part of that. We just touched on that a little bit. Pressure to eat, rewarding kids with dessert. These things Um, which used to be the way the um, older generations nourished their children, uh, really don't work. Psychologically, they don't work. And we know that we have all this research now that tells us it doesn't work. And so if you feel like I've got structure, I've got boundaries, I've got a good healthy food balance, but this is still really hard and it's not working, then I would say, take a look at your feeding style. Take a look at your feeding approaches. Where, what role are you playing in this uh, for better or worse and see if you can improve in that area. Again, it's a long haul. A lot of parents that I have worked with have grown themselves just by learning about how to feed their own children. It can be a real window into your own relationship with food as well. And so 
It's, it's, it's not for the faint of heart, <laughs> this job <Yeah>. of seating. <laughs> and, and, uh, and you really do make a good point. I, I think, you know, parenting, marriage and parenting is probably one of the uh, best personal development things you can do. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and I have learned a lot as, uh, around food um, just by educating myself and how I'm, how I'm, uh, feeding my children and just even picking up on things that were ne not necessarily like a, a bad thing, but you know, uh, like my husband and I, we would catch ourselves that we would snack before bed, you know, or, or just, you know, after dinner hours, you know, an hour before bed or whatever that looked like. And that wasn't serving us well as adults. And we know that that's not really, you know, a, a healthy way and, uh, to, to live. And if we're not F and, and so we need to practice what we're teaching our kids. Right. So just little things like that, we were able to start picking up on of like, oh, okay. Like if we're going to teach our kids this, like we have to practice it too. And it becomes sort of just this overall win for the family. Yeah. Um, and that's our goal. You know, our goal is to, um, really just live, uh, happy, healthy, fulfilling, lives and, and have thriving families. Yeah. It's, it's really in the end, it's not about getting your kids to eat. It's about exposing them to a wide variety of foods, providing the opportunity for them to eat a well-balanced meal in a pleasant environment and helping them cultivate a love of food and a good relationship with food. Because if they have a good relationship with food, which basically means they know when to eat and when to stop, they're not afraid of food. They understand where food can fit in the overall realm of their lives. They don't abuse it. They don't ignore it. Um, if we can raise children like that, who are, who are well-nourished and in good standing with themselves, with eating, with food, their environment around them, they can be caretakers of the environment. All of this happens in the kitchen. It happens in the home and it happens from the parents right? It's that model that children are looking at. So yeah, it all starts in the home. <laughs> Everything, right? Jill, thank you so much for today's conversation. I really enjoyed it. Just so important that as parents, we, we, we get this right, you know, and, and really feel like we're, um, we're doing, um, our children, uh, the, they're getting the best of us and the best, knowledge of us that we can, we can pass on for them. Um, so thank you so much. Enjoyed having you on the show. Um, you can learn more at the new, um, the nourished child.com. We'll have links also set up in show notes and, um, uh, thank you again. Thank you for having me, Kate. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the family OS podcast. We have a special gift that we'd love to give you. Text us the word POD, P-O-D, to 720-459-4219, and we'll text you back. Until next time.